Hello ladies, this is Anna Grace Wood and I am your hostess at Feminine Fidelity where we are devoted to recovering biblical femininity. Um, let's get started today. Today we're going to discuss something I've mentioned in some of my other podcasts. Um, we're going to discuss the Declaration of Sentiments. We're going to discuss the beginning of feminism and the impact it had, how it led to women's suffrage. So we're going to go into it more today than we have before. Now, this started, this came about, and um, let's see, this came about in Seneca Falls, New York, in July of 1848, when more than 300 social activists met for two days, and they had speeches, they had debates on questions relating to women's civic and re- uh, civic and religious rights. At the end of the convention, Elizabeth Cad- Caddy Stanton, she put forth her Declaration of Sentiments. It was a document identifying the legal, financial, educational, and social constraints on women and demanding that women be given the right to vote. Um... Meetings such as the one at Seneca Falls, it it gave rise to an organized campaign, a push that became known as women's suffrage. In fact, early feminists were known as suffragettes. Okay, so I'm going to read to you a little bit. I don't want to read the whole thing. Um, It's very short. You can find it online. It won't take you more than just a few minutes to read it. But I'm going to read a little bit of it. The Declaration of Sentiments. This is how she started it out. When in the course of human events it becomes necessary for one portion of the family of man to assume among the people of the earth a position different from that which they have hitherto occupied, but one to which the laws of nature and of nature's God entitle them, a decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the causes that impel them to such a course. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men and women are created equal, and they are endowed by their Creator with certain inalienable rights. And we're going to stop here for just a second, and I want to point out, she is she is calling on God as, as the reason that she feels like she ought to be able to pursue this, and indeed all women ought to be able to pursue this. But she herself was not a Christian. Okay, She was raised as a Presbyterian. Um, she became uh, an atheist. Uh, most of the women who were involved in this were either Quakers or Unitarians, and neither of which holds to a biblical view of Scripture or God or salvation or anything. So these women, even though they appeal to God and to Scripture, were not living it. They didn't seek God's glory. They didn't seek to honor him. They didn't, they weren't basing this on the Bible, even though they claimed to be. Okay, I'm going to read a few, just a few of the things uh, that she demanded. The history of mankind is a history of repeated injuries and usurpations on the part of man toward woman, having in direct object the establishment of an absolute tyranny over her. 
To prove this, let facts be submitted to a candid world. So here's her facts, or at least a few of them. He has never permitted her to exercise her inalienable right to the elective franchise. He has compelled her to submit to laws in the formation, in the formation of which she had no voice. He has withheld from her rights which are given to the most ignorant and degraded men, both natives and foreigners. He has made her, if married, in the eye of the law, civilly dead. He has made her morally an irresponsible being, as she can commit many, many crimes with impunity, provided they be done in the presence of her husband. He has monopolized nearly all profitable employments, and from those she is permitted to follow, she receives but a scanty remuneration. Okay, and then at the very end of it, she says this. She says, um, And entering upon the great work before us, we anticipate no small amount of misconception, misrepresentation, and ridicule. But we shall use every instrumentality within our power to effect our object. We shall employ agents, circulate tracts, petition, petition the state and national legislatures, and endeavor to enlist the pulpit and the press in our behalf. We hope this convention will be followed by a series of conventions embracing every part of the country. And then this was signed by a lot of women and even some men. Like I said, this was not based on scripture. This was not... Um, this was not something that sought God's glory. It was something that sought to upend everything. The, the destruction that was ushered in by the passage of the amendment, um, giving women the right to vote because women's suffrage flowed out of this convention. It didn't happen right away. It didn't happen until the next century, but it did happen, and it has a, a direct line back to, to that. So keep that in mind. And the destruction that was ushered in when the Nineteenth Amendment passed, it cannot be, it cannot be overstated, because women approach everything differently than men. You know, ladies, you're not your husband. You're not a man. He's not you. He can't be a woman. You can't be a man. You can't. And we don't think alike. We don't look alike. What God didn't make us like. So women approach everything differently. Um, and when everything works as God has designed it to, this is a really good thing. Because we're designed to work together. Uh, each taking care of different things. Men are designed to take care of their area that God has given them, which is the headship and the family and leadership in the church and in society. as uh, He is to be the leader and the provider and the protector in his home, the head of the home. Um, it doesn't mean he's just got the deciding vote, ladies. He's the head, and it's his say. It, he is the one that is supposed to have um, a plan. He is supposed to have a, uh, a design for the family, a mission, that God has given him, and it's your job to come alongside him, help him to, to fulfill that mission. And um, if he's a good man seeking God's glory, this works really well. And uh, it's the way God designed it. And it honors God. Um, but women's suffrage and feminism, it sought to destroy this. It didn't want man as the head. 
It didn't want woman to be submissive to a husband or to a man or to even live with men. It wanted women to be uh, dependent on themselves. And so God appointed women to support the, miss miss the mission of her husband and to raise children with him and to build a home with him and to do good to the saints and and to train younger women and starting with their daughters and moving outward. And uh, women's suffrage sought to undermine all of this. It sought to destroy the biblical family. It sought to affect societal change. And not in a good way. It claimed it was good, but it wasn't. Um, you know, before women got the right to vote, Men were widely understood to be the ruler in the family, the one who set the tone and the mission of the family. He was the head of the home, the provider, and the protector. And so when he cast his vote, so because before women, he had, he, the head of the family had the one vote, and he cast it for his household. And he cast it not just for himself, but as a representative vote for his whole family. And it was his job to make wise, careful, and responsible decisions for the family. Once women had the vote, they were encouraged to make their own decisions, not necessarily follow their husband's lead, but to, to think about what they wanted and to vote for whomever represented their own personal views. Um, suffragettes even encouraged women to intentionally vote in order to counter their husband's vote. And, you know, ladies, women tend to be more liberal than men. This is a fact. Especially single women. Uh, married women tend to be a little bit more conservative. Some a lot more conservative. I'm very conservative. But women in general tend to be more liberal. We tend to, to think with our feelings, with our heart. What's going to be good? What's going to make things better? What's going to, what feels right? How can we care for these people or this situation? Because we're nurturers. God made us nurturers. And this is a really good thing. But when you put that out there, making decisions that are going to affect everybody, this is a really bad thing. Um, younger voters, single voters, and women all tend to vote more liberal because their views haven't fully come about. They don't understand. They're voting just for themselves. They vote by feelings, emotions. And so, and of, often some of these are more uninformed than older people, uh, especially the younger ones. They're not always very well informed. And so the result from having women vote, and since then we've lowered the age whereby you can vote. So, the result of all of this is that we have a bigger government, we have more government programs, we have a lot of liberalism, and we have a lot of defiance of God's word in every way. The passage of the 19th Amendment was an intentional attack on man's ability to govern and guide his own family. You know, ladies, women are designed by God to be nurturers, but we're also designed to be cared for. We're, God appoints us ahead. And it's 
your husband's job to care for you, to guide you, to make decisions that affect you and your children. Because women need this. God designed us this way. So God gave you a head, and he's supposed to take care of you. Women long for this. We long to be cared for. We long for stability. We want to know everything's going to be all right. And Satan used this God-given desire that women have been given by our Lord to usher in the government as a pseudo-husband, to give it, the government, as a replacement for the husband's position. You know, instead of the husband providing for us, now we have big government, welfare and food stamps and all these other programs providing for us. Instead of a man leading us, we look to the government to say, what can we do? What should we do? Um, we turn to the government to help with rent and food and other needs when things get really tight. And there's so many single women today. Who do they turn to? They turn, I mean, single mothers these days. Who do they turn to? They very often turn to the government to do the thing that their husbands were supposed to do. And they voted in these programs. Women voted in these programs. Um, because women are much more likely to vote for a welfare state and big government and singles are than, than men who are solid and steady and able to lead because they don't want that. And now we have this situation where the government can take over no matter what. So the careless men who, who want to go a, be aroused about can run about and get this woman pregnant or that woman pregnant and then run off because, hey, the government can take care of them or she can just go kill it. Either way, he's off the hook. None of this would have come about without the 19th Amendment. And now I want to read you something. This is from Robert L. Dabney. Um... It was written in 1871, and it was published in the Southern Magazine. Robert L. Dabney was the chaplain for Stonewall Jackson. He's a Presbyterian, a very wise man, very prophetic, in that he saw where everything that was happening in the 1800s was taking us, and he tried to warn against it. He warned against everything from feminism and uh, suffrage women's suffrage to uh, the public schooling and, and so much more. But I'm going to read you a little bit here. This is, uh, you can find this online. Look up Women's Rights Women by Robert L. Dabney. I'm going to read you just a little bit of it because he saw and he tried to warn us. He said, if we understand the claims of women's right, if we understand the claims of women's rights women, they are in substance too that the legislation, at least, of society shall disregard all the nat natural distinctions of the sexes and award the same specific rights and franchises to both in every respect, and that women, while in the married state, shall be released from every species of conjugal subordination 
the assimilation of the garments of the two sexes, their competition in the same industries and professions, and their common access to the same amusements and recreation. Our recreations are social changes which the strong-minded expect to work, each one for herself when once the obstructions are law of law are removed from the other points. He goes on to say, one result of the reflection which we have been able to give this movement is the conviction is that it will prevail in the so-called United States. This is foreshadowed by the frantic lust for innovation which has seized the body of the people like an epidemic. It is enough with them to condemn any institution that it was bequeathed us by our forefathers. Because it is not the invention of this age, it is wrong, of course, and their eyes, no experience proves anything, save the experience which they have had themselves. They do not suppose that our fathers were wise enough to interpret and record the lessons of our former experiences. That certain things did not succeed in our forefathers' hands is no proof that it will not succeed in our hands. For we are cute. We live in an enlightened age and understand how to manage things successfully. He goes on to say, The advocates of these women's rights may be expected to win the day because the premises from which they argue their revolution have been irrevocably admitted by the bulk of the people. Now this popular mind may not be consciously or intentionally consistent and logical. It may jump to many conclusions without much analysis of the steps by which they are reached. It may deliberately harbor the most express purpose to be guilty of any logical inconsistency, however outrageous, in pursuing its supposed interest. It may have its mind ever so clearly made up to eat its own words and principles whenever its its convenience prompts that measure. But still the Creator has made man, in spite of himself, a logical animal. And the consequences will work themselves out, whether he designs it or not, to those results which the premises dictate. He then says later, What those influences will be may be learned by everyone who references the Christian scriptures, from this fact that the theory of women's rights is sheer infidelity. It directly impugns the authority and the justice of these scriptures. They speak in no uncertain tones. The husband is the head of the wife, Ephesians 5.23. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as to the Lord, verses 22, verse 22. The man is not for the woman, but the woman for the man, 1 Corinthians 2.9. Let the woman learn in silence with all subjection, but I suffer not a woman to teach, nor usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence, for Adam was first formed, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression, 1 Timothy 2, 11-14. They are to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, etc. Titus 2, 5. How utterly opposed is all of this to the leveling doctrine of your radical. Women here consigned to social subordination and expressly excluded from ruling offices on the grounds of their sex and a divine ordination based by God upon a transaction which happened nearly 6,000 years ago. They must and will flounce their whole authority. We must then make up our mind in accepting women's rights to surrender our Bibles and have an atheistic government. And especially must we expect to have presiding over every home 
in rearing every group of future citizens that most abhorrent of all phenomena an infidel woman for of course that sex having received the precious boon of their own enfranchisement only by the means of their overthrow of the bible must be foremost in trampling upon this their old oppressor an enemy its restoration to authority is necessarily their re-enslavement to speak the language of their party second these new excitements and temptations will will utterly corrupt the character and delicacy of the american women it is indignantly asked why should politics corrupt the morals of women more than that of the lords of creation suppose now we reply american politics have corrupted the morals of the men suppose we argue that the retort is so true and just and the result has actually gone to so deplorable an extent that were the female side of our social organization as corrupt as the male side has already become american society would crumble into ruin by its own putrance It is argued that since women are now confessedly purer than men, their entrance into politics must necessarily purify politics. We reply again that the women of the present were so reared and attained this comparative purity under the Bible system. Adopt the infidel plan, and we shall corrupt our women without purifying our politics. What shall save us then? So here's a quote by Mary Sully. She said, uh, this is from the uh, 1800s. She said, so it is no small matter that we keep in our places. The suffrage question is, I believe, of far more importance than most people think. No doubt it will be a turning point in the history of our country. So, yeah, I, I'm against women voting. I'm also against the uninformed voting, however. I am against young people voting. I honestly believe that we need to return to um, a standard that was done away with a long time ago. I think that if you do not have a vested interest in this country, you ought not to be able to vote. And uh, I think you ought to be old enough to understand what's at stake and either pass a civics lesson or be a owner of land or property or a business owner. And so somebody's going to ask, hey, what if it's a woman who, who holds that position? I don't know. I've looked at it from both points. And as I told one lady, once you make the exception once, it's going to be made again and again. And then we'll be right back where we are now. And it doesn't really matter what I think because we are already where we are now. And the damage has already been done. And again, ladies, we can't stop it from happening. It's already happened. Um, what we can do is do something about it. We can become women who honor our husbands and submit to our husbands and who love our homes. And we can be examples to other women. And maybe by living out truth and teaching truth maybe down the line for your children or your grandchildren maybe they'll face a much better world than we face now that's our hope is to rebuild 
um, I won't see the fruits of that most likely. And you may not. And your child may not. But someone will. And we have to do all of this for the glory of God. Um, let's keep in mind what... Um, just what we're fighting. Um, I want to read this to you. This is Elizabeth Cady Stanton, the woman that wrote the Declaration of Sentiments, the woman that set in motion feminism that ultimately resulted in the 19th Amendment. And she said this, The Bible and the Church have been the greatest stumbling block in the way of women's emancipation. And so this is the woman that so changed our society in such a way that all around us is crumbling. She didn't do it alone. She didn't do it alone. She had help at the time, but she's the one that was one of was about the biggest driving force behind it. And what she set in motion, what she wrote down, led to where we are now. And so, you know, I doubt it will change. I would get rid of women voting if I could. I doubt that that's going to come about for quite a while. But I think it's important to take a look at the evil that it has caused and to actually see things as they are, not as we want them to be. We want to think, hey, this was a good thing. But most people don't stop and take time to delve deep into history and look at how we got to where we are and how this was all brought about, how it deviated from Scripture how, in fact, it used Scripture as the bad guy. I mean, she cast God and his word as the bad guy. Keep that in mind. So when you have a poisoned root, you're not going to get a good tree. When you have an evil, evil tree, you're not going to get good fruit. The Bible is clear about this. So this was based on things... They were contrary to God's word by people who hated God's word, who twisted God's word, and who blamed God. And so the result cannot be good, has not been good, and has resulted in much evil. And keep this in mind. If we did not have the 19th Amendment, we would not have Roe versus Wade. And so for the abolitionists out there, if some of you are listening, you want to change this? You want to make sure, okay, so you get rid of it. Say Roe is overturned. You got to overturn it at the state level, and you got to change hearts and minds to do that. And we need the gospel to do this. Women don't need to be voting because they, I mean, if I voted, if I were voting, I would vote well because I vote on truth. And I know my sisters in Christ would do the same. But we don't go by what we believe to enable someone to vote. We just say, hey, you're old enough, you can do it. We don't even require ID. This, in most places, this is ridiculous. You know, so we have to keep in mind 
that the damage that has been done. And so, yeah, you might want to vote, but was it a good thing that women got the vote? No, because the root was poison. The root was evil. So the tree is evil. So the fruit is evil. That's what we need to keep in mind. And I'm going to leave you with that. Uh, ladies, in everything that we do, we have to seek God's glory. We have to honor him. We have to get back into the word and we have to delve down deep and figure out what it is that God hath said and how we can live it out and how we can do everything for his glory. Until next time, I hope you have a good day and thank you for listening. If you will consider becoming a uh, supporter, uh, I have a Patreon on my um on my blog, which is Femina Sola Gradia. You can sign up through there. You can support me through here. You can please sign up to follow maybe here and my blog. And I'll talk to you later. Okay. Bye-bye.